Hello, and welcome to the Emmy Awards. I'm your host, Emmy Cardinale, and this is my podcast where I talk about what I've been watching or rewatching once a week. This is the first episode of mine that you stum- stumble upon and you enjoy it. Please feel free to follow me wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get notified when I upload, rate and review if you've listened to a few episodes and you like the podcast. I don't know, that is supposedly a helpful thing. Probably not really that useful for me considering... This is a very small podcast. Nobody listens to it except my sister. That's not true. It's not like one viewer, so I know more than just my sister listens to it. But anyways, I will say before I jump straight in, I'm going to be talking about The Bachelor, The Traders, and Vanderpump Rules, which is what I've been doing for the last couple weeks. I do want to say that I am having a hard day. Like I'm having a tough day emotionally. And I want to record this podcast because like I have stuff to say and I think it'll be a good distraction but I cannot lie and say that I'm in the cheeriest mood because unfortunately I'm not and um that you know self-deprecating comment about the podcast like two seconds ago was because of that because I'm honestly not feeling great about myself you know so it is what it is you got to keep pushing and I have things to say and this is fun, you know? I'm trying, it, it, if it was gonna make me more miserable, I wouldn't do it. And I am gonna try to not be like a negative Nancy, but I do just gotta say that because I like to be honest. And honestly, sometimes I'm just having a hard day. You know what it is? And timestamps are in the description. So if you don't care about my little PTC, if you will, it's not a PTC, it's just how I'm feeling. If you don't care about that, you can fast forward. My intros have been really short lately, like literally less than a minute because I just jumped straight in. But this time I have something that I want to say. I think right now, I'm sure most people are feeling it. The economy is like so, like I know, I feel like people always say the economy this, the economy that. (laughs) That that sounds like such a stupid sentence. I don't know. I am really feeling it. I'm really feeling the everything being so much more expensive, wages not getting any higher. I'm 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 really feeling it and like LA is an expensive place to live and I'm lucky that my apartment isn't even like crazy expensive and it's rent controlled, but like sometimes, you know, it's coming to the end of the month and you're like shit, I have like no money left over after I have to pay rent. And it's really like disheartening when you feel like you're working really hard and i think the reason it relates to this podcast is because like obviously this is a hobby it's for fun i have a full-time job like all of those things are true i'm not going into it with the hopes of this becoming like mega viral i mean it would be nice if i had some kind of you know it's it's like a, a hard thing for me because people who have like internet platforms always say like don't go into it thinking like oh i'm gonna make a ton of money and i know that but it's also like it would be nice if this eventually made money because i put a lot of effort and like time into taking notes while i watch shows and like yeah that's still fun for me like i'm it's not a crazy amount of labor like it's more fun than it is work but it is work like the note taking the editing like this is work that i'm putting into a product every week this podcast isn't a hobby as a way to express myself but it's like man sometimes i think it's also like we live in this economy and this society where i feel like at least in the united states i don't want to speak to other countries because this is the country i grew up grew up in but there's such a like narrative or a mindset to monetize your hobbies that i feel like and obviously podcasting is something people do as a career so it's just like i mean i feel like a good amount of hobbies are things that then people do professionally not like 
all hobbies obviously but it's like if you have some kind of craft that you work on a lot of the times there are people who make their living off of like whatever hobby you are doing so it's just hard sometimes to feel like you should be making money off of something if you're putting that much effort into it but then it's also like why do i need to make money off of everything that i'm putting effort into like that is such an unhealthy mindset but also at the end but also i could use the money <laughs> i don't even know what this tangent is maybe i'll cut half of it out like i was already feeling bad about myself and then it reaches the end of the month and you're like my life is a disaster and i don't know I don't know if anybody else feels that way. It, times are tough out here, you know? Like, everything is expensive. And I know there are going to be people who are like, you live in LA, why would you move to an Like, all of that, yada, yada, yada. I get it. I get it that I pay a price for living in Los Angeles. I will say, though, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure actually everything is more expensive here. Like, I know if I lived in Ohio, it would be different. But, like, the thing is, I went to college in Ohio. I loved it, but I just, I wanted to change of pace. I spent four years living in a rural, small community, and it was amazing. And there are days where I feel so isolated in LA that I'm like, I, I, I yearn for that kind of community, that the people i love lived near me like in a walking distance i miss going to the dining hall or to the coffee shop and just knowing people like just knowing people everywhere i went it was lovely like there are things i yearn about it but i wanted a change of pace and i love living in la like i'm not complaining about it but some damn sometimes times are tough i don't know the end of the month blues does anybody else feel that where you're like shit i have to pay rent in like a week anyways Jumping straight into The Bachelor, season 28, episode six. The cold open is, they're in Canada, as they said they were going to at the end of last week. The cold open is Maria and Joey in a limo. He says, je t'aime. He's like, I don't know what that means. It's really cute. Then we open for real in Montreal. Joey is feeling like overwhelmed. He's sad. He's really struggling. He's like very candid about just how hard it's hitting him how he feels like people expect him to be perfect it's really i feel for joey and i love joey then we see the women get to montreal they see the their hotel they say bonjour joey or bonjour montreal like i don't know they just they do the typical we're in a new place bachelor montage <laughs> then they meet jesse he greets the women he talks about how he's from canada then he speaks french he tries to ask them questions in French. None of them understand. I will say there were like subtitles translating, but I did take French in high school and I did understand what he was saying. So without the subtitles, sometimes I'm like, I want to pick up French again because I'm sure I've lost like 90% of it. Like the older, like I'm getting so close to it being like 10. This year will be 10 years since I started high school, not graduated. I graduated in 2017. But like even now within itself is like crazy. But you know, it is what it is. So it'll be 10 years since I started high school. So like I took French like a million years ago at this point. I, w I, I don't think I could remember French, but I would love to try. There was a point in my life where I spoke English, Spanish. I, I was pretty good at Portuguese. I was learning French. Those were the days. I'm like, man, my brain, all of that's gone. All of that's gone. <laughs> I have a horrible memory now. I can I can barely remember like details about my own life, let alone the languages that I was like I I I couldn't conjugate a verb in French to save my life. I do know je t'aime though. Anyways, Jesse tells the women that the first date will be the group date. So and there will be two one-on-one. -on -one. So if you don't hear your name, 
you will be going on a one-on-one. He just reads them out loud. And it's everybody. He'd like, there's no date card. He just says it from memory. Which, you know, I guess if all the women are in front of you and there's only two that you know are getting one-on-ones, it shouldn't be that difficult. He reads everybody's names, but Kelsey, T, and Maria. So they're going on one-on-ones, which is very exciting for me as a fan of both of them. The group date is like a scavenger hunt. Joey says he's still feeling low, but seeing the women helps. Joey's honest to the women about how he's having a hard time. Then they start the scavenger hunt. The first stop is at a souvenir shop. Then they meet with a couple playing chess who make them repeat sayings in French, one of them being je t'aime. Then they go to Jesse's favorite restaurant and make poutine. And I have to say, I wrote in my notes, it's kind of unfortunate that it sounds like Putin because I felt like they kept saying poutine, poutine, eh, poutine, poutine. Like it sounded like they were saying Putin. And I was like, that's kind of unfortunate. I've never had poutine. It sounds good. I like french fries. I've only been to Canada once. No, I've been to Canada twice. Oh my God. I went once when I was like, I don't know, 10, nine, because my family was taking a cruise to Alaska and it left out of Toronto, I think. I don't know. That was fun though. And then that was like brief. Like I stayed at a hotel one day. Like I barely saw any of Canada. But then going back to my high school French, it all connects. My high school French class took a field trip to Montreal. Or no, not well, Quebec, (laughs) not Montreal, sorry. But we went to Quebec where they also speak French. I don't know enough about Canada. I'm so sorry to the Canadians. I don't want to slander. I know we went to Quebec though. And it was so silly though, because the goal was for us to speak French because it's like, this is a high school. Like, I don't know. I'm sure that maybe there are high school French classes that then take you to like actually Paris or, or somewhere else. But Canada was the closest we could get. So we took, we went on a bus too. Like it wasn't like a flight or anything, which was crazy in retrospect. I mean, I, I grew up in Maryland, so it wasn't like that crazy, but it was like a couple, like at least a day just in the bus. I don't know, but I, I enjoyed it. It was a very fun trip. But it, what I was saying is that, is that it was so silly because the, our teacher was like, you have to speak French the whole time. But we're in Canada, so they speak English too. I mean, I know they speak English in France too, I'm sure. But like in Canada, when you when you get to Quebec, there's like, it's in French and English, the signs and stuff. So it's just a different, like, it's not the same if you're in Paris. They're like, you know, if you try to speak French, they probably respond. Every time I tried to speak French, to these people in Quebec, they just replied in English. And I was like, well, what was the point of that? Sorry for going on that unnecessary tangent. <laughs> but my Canadian experience, I'd love to go back. I really enjoyed Canada, but and I, I do know like French Canada, the culture is different. I mean, it's Canada is Canada, but I know that like, from what I've heard, Canadians from different parts of Canada have their own culture, which just seems obvious. But I do just want to specify, I've only, I've been to French Canada for longer. I went to non-French Canada, just Canada, Toronto, but that was like briefly. It was a stop along a longer journey, which by the way, I went, that, I would never go on a cruise now. Like the idea of a cruise terrifies me, but it was really fun when I was younger. And also I loved going to Alaska. Like I would love to go to Alaska again. Anyways. Then they make, they're making poutine. Jen 
makes like a crazy one with pineapple chocolate and sriracha which sounds really gross but you know it got her in the episode like joey commented on it in his itms they had him trying it so like it's a good it's a good play because yeah it sounded disgusting but like it got his attention and is that not the point on a group date kelsey a talks about how she in her itm she talks about she's feeling down it's hard to see him interacting with other women and this is her first group date after a one-on-one so that's adds a whole other level because from what everything i've heard from people who've been on the show after you have a one-on-one it really changes the connection you have because it's it's just a completely different thing to get somebody's undivided attention because even when you have one-on-one time on a group date like in the night portion it's very limited and people interrupt you and it's like you know your time is limited it's a whole thing to be able to just sit at dinner with the person and like share everything you want to share it just it creates a whole different connection so i understand why she's struggling lexi talks in her items of how she needs time to talk to him and group settings are hard in that regard the next stop on the scavenger hunt is they come across an accordion player and they dance. We see Kelsey A and Caitlyn chat. Caitlyn comforts Kelsey because Kelsey's struggling. And then we see them and the group date playing field hockey. Then on the group date night portion, Lexi talks about how she needs reassurance. Jess is in her head. Rachel says she finds it hard to compare, not to compare herself with the other women. Then Joey comes in and he picks up that the women seem sad. The mood is very somber. Like I think they've reached a point in the season where all the women either have very strong connections with Joey or realize that their connections are not that strong. Like the writing's on the wall one way or the other. And even the ones who have the strong connections probably can be like, I feel like I have a strong connection, but it's not as strong as his with daisies or whatever, you know, like there reaches a point where even if you feel like you're in a good spot, you can tell kind of who the bachelor is gonna pick, not always, but there is very often like a sense of like, she's winning, she's taking this, they have the strongest connection, You could, it's palpable. So I think it's just, it's very somber because at the beginning, Things are a lot more fun. A lot more of the energy and the emotions are spent on like the drama and the interpersonal conflicts with the women. Now you've reached a point where a lot of your emotions and probably your thoughts are pre are like surrounded, are like really focused on the relationship itself and like how invested you are and or how disappointed you are that you're not further along. Like it, it I think you just reach a point and Joey's feeling it too because I feel like it's easier to send somebody home that you like never had a conversation with or you've had a few conversations with or you just like you know, but like at this point when there is the women the numbers are narrowing down, you really start to to like the the women. Even if you don't see a connection with them, you like them as people. You're getting to know them and it's harder to reject people when you have some kind of rapport. I think it's just, it's wearing on him and it's wearing on all of them. But anyways, first we see Caitlin and Joey talk and she says today was hard for her. Then Kelsey A and Joey talk. There's nothing much of note besides that. Then Kelsey A and Joey talk and she says that it was hard for her. There were so many emotions. She felt like she was in the background. And he's super sweet, says that she could never be in the background. Like super, super reassuring and then she says she's falling for him then we see joey and lexi talk and she asks about his timeline in in regards to like marriage and kids because she says in her itms maybe she even says this to him but she's like marriage means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and that's true like some people take engagements 
like engagement even means a different thing to everybody some people are like we get engaged that means we're getting married really soon after you know like that's it we're getting married some people are like i want to commit to you but like we'll take a few years to figure it out like it all means people's timelines and their desires for their futures all mean different things so i i appreciate that she asked because it's obviously important to her so sissy wants a two to three year engagement and then a couple years married before they try for kids lexi receives that information says she needs to process that then we see Jen and Joey talk and she says she's falling for him. Jess is in her head. Jill, I think I mentioned that earlier. Jess this whole time in her ITMs is just like really doubting herself. Okay, something I want to say that my sister messaged me about. And I love mentioning my sister because she'll be like, I mean, like she'll message, she'll like message me about something I said on my podcast. Sometimes about her, sometimes not, but it's fun. But something my sister pointed out and I really agree with upon rewatching the episode is that the women this season are they keep saying i'm falling for you it's like where's the in love part to me falling and falling in love is not as like like you know they're different there's no love i'm falling for you you know how many people i fall for so many people i'm kidding but like where's the in love part they just say i'm falling it feels like an easier way to say i'm falling in love but like you gotta use the word love you have make give it some meaning anyways finally we see jess and joey talk she says group dates are getting harder. She says she's falling for him. And he sends her home. Like, it's pretty quick. It's pretty much like, I, I see that. I'm just not feeling it. And he sends her home. And you know what? Thank God. <laughs> I think Joey would have sent her home sooner. But you only have so much, like, you know, you only have so much say with the producers. They're like, you have to keep around to people that they want you to keep. I'm sure they, that it was very producer driven to keep leia and jess around to milk drama as long as possible after sydney went home like you know what i mean but i think he was probably just he got to the point where he was like i can't fake it with her anymore she says she's falling for me i feel nothing for her he didn't say it like that he's much kinder than i am but then joey comes back he tells the group he sent jess home and he gives jen the group date road then on kelsey t's one-on-one they do like a cirque du soleil thing it's a lot of spinning i was dizzy just watching it i don't know there's not much to say about the the group about the day portion except that like they both put their energy into it they both seem to have fun like it it's a nice thing it's something that i would personally hate then we see lexi back at the hotel talking about she has a lot of questions she's worried about his timeline she talks to the women about it about how he said he wanted a two to three year engagement and then wait a few years for kids and she doesn't know if she can do that so that's like a seed that's being planted i don't really know if it's a seed as much as like an already sprouted plant that you're putting in your own pot and watering i always try with analogies and i'm like they really flop every time but anyway back on kelsey t's day um, date we see the night portion they have like dinner at a church, which is kind of a bold choice. <laughs> she, op- she's excited to open up and take things to the next level with him. He thanks her, says he appreciates how she handled everything today. And then she opens it about her family. She says she hasn't had the best relationship with all of them, specifically her dad. They were really close growing up, but then at some point he kind of just stopped talking to her and joey like inquires more he's like what do you mean like what happened and she says that he really wanted her to be focused on religion and when she decided to leave the religion and when she wanted to go to college he was not supportive of it 
And he said that anybody living in his house had to be in the religion, which I found out after the fact through like an article that she was a Jehovah's Witness. And I don't know much about Jehovah's Witnesses, but it seems like Mormonism cult levels maybe a bit more extreme i don't know enough about the levels and i'm not trying to like compare culty religions but it 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 definitely from my understanding is what i do know about jehovah's witnesses it it all seems very negative for most people who leave the church it seems like you don't get any you don't get any like birthdays or presents or stuff like that and it's like i think there's something to be said about teaching your children to be humble and not value material possessions over everything but I think there's also something really damaging. And I don't know about the psychology behind this, but I feel like I could just, like, I don't know. I feel like it would, and I'm not a therapist. <laughs> like, I want to make all these disclaimers, but I feel like it would be damaging to, like, a child's psyche to never be, like, celebrated or validated because then you start to feel like your accomplishments, like, don't matter. Like, everything is about religion. And religion is an important like driving factor and if people find fulfillment in it like that's beautiful but i think there's something very psychologically unhealthy about teaching children and people in general to like search for this external like validation through this like religious organization everything i've learned about in psychology classes and and in therapy is that you need to have things like you need to find intrinsic value within yourself and i think it probably sets like a bad foundation to be told from like a young age that like you can't ever celebrate you can't get present like nothing is about you and it's like obviously you don't want to be a selfish person but you also have to have some kind of like self-esteem again i don't know enough about jehovah's witnesses but everything i've like learned about it seems like it's very much you can't do anything for yourself like everything has to be around the religion and 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 maybe that's like too broad of a way to describe it i don't know enough but i think any religion where you're excommunicated and you are like like you basically don't have a relationship with your like father who was once close to you because you go a different path like to me that is not a healthy environment i don't know it just it and and i don't know i don't know anyways she when she went to college she he was not supportive and said that anybody living under his roof had to be in the religion um and she went to live with her mom and then she and her dad stopped talking she says that this has affected how she trusts in relationships because it's hard when somebody can be so there for you and then just not be there kelsey t did post on her instagram stories Maybe she posted it to like her main grid too, but she posted it on her Instagram stories that like anybody, she's like, I I didn't realize how many people would be touched by the story. Like if anybody's going through this or any religious trauma, like I'm here for you. And she was like, I also want to say that like my dad and I watched the episode together, like we're like good, he's been sick and sad times can like really bring people together. And it's like all love, like it was, it was, it's nice to know that at least on the other side, there is like some kind of happy ending and that it's not like the door was completely closed. I am always somebody, maybe it's because I was raised with family always being a very important thing. And I didn't live very close to most of my extended family, but I'm somebody who like always, I have a soft spot for like, I don't know, family to me. I'm like, I never, and I'm not saying that people, like I don't judge people for going no contact, you know, like it's all complicated, you know, family connections and relationships 
are very like delicate person like really I don't know I feel it for me when there's like family conflict it's very deeply hurtful in a in a unique way so I don't know I just it always warms my heart for reconciliation but I also understand that that is not always ideal for everybody so that's not what I'm saying anyways Joey's really sweet about it as he always is she gets the rose it's a very like lovely moment he's super sweet and I love her so I really wish like I'm glad she got a one-on-one I really am but I wish we had gotten more of Kelsey T throughout the season the women I have to say of this season are so good that it almost like makes me paradise hasn't officially been canceled or renewed from my understanding and it's kind of been up in the air some people have said like it's being canceled some people have said we don't know yet why are you commenting on it nobody said no it's for sure happening but i feel like paradise is kind of up in the air maybe they'll just not do it this season but it's not like permanently canceled i don't really know but i have to say that i am like genuinely so sad uh, but like this is the first season that I'm like I want to see and and it's not that I don't normally like the women a good amount most of the times I like them they're perfectly lovely I'm excited to see where their stories go but there are so many women this season that I'm like so rooting for and so invested in and so want to see more of that it makes the idea of there possibly not being a paradise season even more upsetting and I don't normally like love paradise like it's last paradise sucked but I'm so invested in these women that I want more from them and like I'm following them on social media but it's just different I don't know and I'm a romantic at heart okay as much as I break down the shit and I try to look at it from a game perspective I'm a romantic at heart I am rooting for a love story like I've seen people say that like they don't watch love is blind for the love they watch it for like the train wreck and it's like I enjoy the train wreck too but I also am rooting for the love I'm not gonna lie I'm rooting for the love I always go into it with like a grain of salt of like the chances of this working probably slim at least on the bachelor love is blind hasn't had a ton of success either but i think proportionally they probably had more success they've also been around longer so it's like a smaller anyways that's neither here nor there they also have more couples the bachelor has more couples on paradise but like in their main seasons it's like one couple so this the the chances are also lower oh also i'm not covering love is blind because there's just too much to say <laughs> Like, I, I'm, I have three shows I'm talking about. Maybe once the trader ends, I don't know. Because Love is Blind is like, they released like six episodes the first week and then three more. Like, we're already at nine episodes. How many episodes are there going to be this season? Like, the seasons, like, by the time I'm done recapping The Traders or The Bachelor, I don't know, whichever, like, season ends first, I'm, I'm, it's a disaster. Anyways, I can't, I didn't mean go, to go on that tangent. I just want to see more Kelsey T. Hopefully there's a paradise season. Anyways. Then at the, we see the women at the hotel. They're like gathered in the the room like they would be for like girl chat or a date card reading. And a man comes to the door and he comes to pick Maria up. Maria's date is like the pretty women date. Some people call it the princess date. It's like the shopping date. And this is the, this is the, the date that like there are some people who are like, man, I really wanted that date. Man, I really wanted th- that date. And I will say if i was on the show i'm probably like i'm a very emotional person i would probably feel that way but watching it the only day that i'm ever like damn i really want that date it's this date because like the bachelor you don't get paid to go on the show you don't even get a stipend and it's like an investment you either have to take paid time off you have to i've already talked about this but you have to quit your job you have to take paid time off you have to buy a bunch of cocktail dresses because most women don't just have a ton and maybe you have a few but like how many people have like 
two months worth of like cocktail dresses, nice outfits. Like you, you, it's an investment. This would be a bang for your buck. You maybe get something in return. <laughs> but anyways, first Joey and Maria hang out in a limo. It's so cute. Like I love their banter. It's just, it's delightful to watch. Then they go to like a b- boutique. I don't know. A a store just a store she tries on clothes she poses for joey and he picks out the dress that he wants her to wear for the night portion they drive in the limo all dressed up and she gets joey to say je t'aime which is what we saw at the beginning of the episode and he's like i don't know what that means but i don't buy that because literally on the group date the old couple they weren't old the french couple playing chess was like teaching him phrases and they said je t'aime you wouldn't like pick up what that means also, who doesn't know what jetem means? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's a very... It's like if you don't know what hola means. You know? Not not the same, because, you know, I feel like if you don't know what bonjour means. <laughs> Anyways. Then they pull up to a helicopter, and she's worried she'll have to jump out. She's like, I'm not... We're not we're not jumping out. Right? She's so nervous. They, then they, they go in the little helicopter. They see the sights. It's super cute. Then on the night portion, we see them drive up to the to a theater in the same limo. I think it's like, yeah, I think it's like a theater. There's like a marquee. At dinner, they talk about how much fun they had. She says she feels at ease around him. She opens up about how in a past relationship of hers, she was dating somebody who like dangled in an engagement, but it was always in the future. It was always like, yeah, like she was ready, but he was like, I'll be ready in a few years. And so she left. And she just wants somebody who means what they say to like say, if they say that they want to be like, they want to be engaged, they, they get engaged. You know, she, she wants somebody who means what they say, not somebody who like dangles something years down the line when she's ready now. Joey says he's 100% in. The idea of this not working at the end scares him. And he says he'll do his best to be as like communicative with Maria as possible. Maria says she's falling for him again. Where's the in love part? Then there's like a little private concert thing. They dance, she gets throws. It's all very sweet. Then we see the next day, or who knows how many days it's been, but like the, the, the night ends, it's a new day. We see Lexi go to Joey's hotel room and talk to him. She basically just says that his timing doesn't really match up with hers. She doesn't have the privilege to wait for kids because of her endometriosis. And she basically, she makes the decision to leave. Like she self-eliminates. And I have to say like self-eliminating, some people think it's an error, whatever. I think this was a really, I think self-eliminations really work sometimes when you have like a point for going like some kind of, not message, but like you're and not even standing up for yourself, but I think it's just like, what is a better arc for Lexi, you know, in terms of what makes her memorable? What is the best story for her? Would it be, because I don't personally think that Lexi was like his girl. Maybe she would have gone to find the form, maybe. But do I think that he would have picked her at the end? I really don't. I don't, I didn't see that ease, that connection that he has with some of the other women. Like, I just don't see it. So uh, do I think he would have ended up with Lexi? No. So like, what is a better story? Like waiting to the end and just being sent home at like a rose ceremony where you don't get the rose and then he walks you out. Or like having this private conversation where you're like, I've really felt this and this is hard, but like, we're just not, we're not gonna work or we're on two different timelines. I think this is a much, 
better story for Lexi. I think it's more interesting TV. I think it makes her more memorable. I think if she were to become The Bachelor, like it gives her a better story to possibly become The Bachelorette. I think they have a lot of really good candidates for Bachelorette this season, so I don't really know who they would lean towards, but I just think they have like a better, it's a better story of like Lexi needs to, it wants to find somebody who's ready now. So like Joey wasn't on her timeline and she's really respectful about it too in her ITM. She's like, he's just, you can't make somebody be ready for something they're not and he doesn't have to be ready. It just means that we're not the map, like we're not a match. And I just think this is a better ending to Lexi's story with Joey than just being sent home like a rose ceremony you know because do i think she would have made it through this week i do but do i think that she would have been the final rose recipient i don't particularly think so and why put herself through more of the heartbreak the the turmoil the getting more attached to joey when you know that it's not gonna work for one reason or another i think sometimes self-eliminations are better for you not just from like a mental like this is what is healthiest for you but also from like a narrative story perspective of like the goal is to make good tv or to maybe sell you like propel yourself into the the bachelorette role i don't know whatever your goal is i do feel like like it, it i feel like self-elimination sometimes get a bad rep it's not always like going home on your own terms is a bad thing i think sometimes they ser it serves you well but anyways before she leaves she goes to tell maria and daisy that she's leaving she says goodbye to them it's really sweet then at the cocktail party slash rose ceremony most of the women are feeling down and like overwhelmed and just sad like I said, it's just reaching a point of this season where you're really feeling it. You're feeling the connections. You're feeling other people's connections move past yours. It's hard. Say what you want about The Bachelor, but either way, it's a mindfuck. Like, if you're a guy, you have to, like, reject, like, 20 women for, like, one. If you're the, con like, if you're the, the contestant, you are, like, in this environment where you can only talk to these people, like, the, the other women or the producers, the other women you're competing with, while also like they're really they, they become like your your close friends you spend like all your time together then or like the producers are your friends but they also were trying to produce a tv show so probably you have some kind of like guard up at least i would have like how much are they actually looking over my best interest and how much do they just want a good storyline you know like there's it's a really mind fuck environment for so many levels but one of them like is that you are starting to develop feelings for somebody or you wish and it's also like this weird environment where contestants have been like in the real world i don't think i would be that interested in the lead but like all the women that's all you're talking about he's like how he's like the one man it's like you're on a stranded island and so <laughs> it's like your plane crashed in the canadian wilderness sorry anyways you know what i mean like it's just it would be a very emotionally difficult situation. But anyways, Joey greets the women. He gives this little speech, touches on Lexi's exit and how like hard that is for him just because he's scared of that, of getting to the end and somebody not wanting the same thing that he does. Then we see one-on-one -on -one time with Caitlin and she tells him how much she likes him. We see one-on-one -on -one time with Daisy. She asks for a foot massage which is kind of bold, like, girl, don't give free foot pics. I mean, you can if you want, but like, I just know Daisy's on WikiFeet now. I, will, I would like to say, I never knew what WikiFeet was until I like watched the H3 podcast and a couple years ago, it was like a big thing for them. It's not anymore because he got banned off of WikiFeet for like rigging the vote. 
But like that was the first time I heard of wiki feet because I'm not into feet. So I didn't know that was a thing. But now I know it's a thing. So I need to have people like it's one thing to just be barefoot on national TV, which I feel like I would already be kind of like wary of. But like you're just like, can you get a foot rub? Like the, the camera is going to get a good angle of your feet. They're going to go crazy for that. Oh. Then we see one on one time with Jen. She brings him into the room where the women are, like the where they are. It's like there's always like a big room where they are, and then they speak to them in smaller rooms. I don't know, but there's like a piano in the room where all the women are gathered and waiting for their one on one time with Joey or for the cocktail party to end. And she's like, "There's something I haven't told you." And she pulls him in there and she like tries to teach him how to play piano and like all the women are there and it is kind of awkward for them but you know what it didn't it didn't feel that obnoxious like it didn't feel like jen was like i'm gonna do this because all the women are there it kind of felt like i don't care that the other women are here i want to teach him how to play piano so i'm gonna do that like it didn't feel like she was doing it to make the other women uncomfortable she was just like i want to do this i'm gonna do this i liked it anyways we see brief one-on-one time with kelsey a um I didn't write anything down for their conversation. I have no idea what they said. I just said there was one-on-one time with Kelsey A. Rachel in her ITM, she talks about doubting herself and her relationship with Joey. I think the one-on-one time with Kelsey A was intercut with Rachel doubting herself, which is why I don't have many notes. Then we see one-on-one time with Rachel and she jokes about the piano and she affirms him, validates him because she feels like he does that. So he wants to do it, which she's not like the, she's the second person that we see say that because Caitlin, when she was talking about how much she liked him, she was like, I, your, your speech made me kind of sad. They're all like, no, Joey, you're not somebody we would not be here for and the thing about the the lexi breakup and lexi's exit is that it really was wasn't like any fault of joey's it was just like this is a really big deal and we're not on the same page and i think it's just better if we end it now and i really respect her because she could have stayed she could have milked it but she knew that they were just not going to work because at the end of the day this is a really important convert like that kind of thing really matters especially if like she has endometriosis her timeline like she doesn't know how long it's going to take she doesn't know what complications she might have like there are a lot more and obviously like with fertility some people have things like endometriosis that obviously like you know impact your fertility but then there are some people that like you don't know until you try to have like you try to conceive that there are problems like you never know you never know what fertility problems you might have in a relationship but I think when you know you have fertility problems, you're pro- you're just a lot more aware of that. And she just needs somebody who's ready for the same thing she is. So, you know, it, it, it's valid. But I didn't mean to go on that tangent. The point is a few of a couple of the women were like, we're going to validate you, Joey, which is funny. Anyways, the cocktail party ends and the roses presented in order are Daisy, Kelsey A and Rachel. Mind you, Maria, Jen and Kelsey T had roses. So... That's six women. Going home are Caitlyn and Leia. I was really sad to see Caitlyn go. I loved Caitlyn. Like, I didn't think that she was going to be there for Joey that much longer, but I just really enjoyed watching her. And if you if you stumble 
upon this podcast, Caitlin, and you are in any way interested in women, I live in Los Angeles and I am single. I'm so serious. She's so pretty. I feel like I would like her vibe. I would love to go to the Renaissance Fair with you. I think she she does that kind of thing. I don't know. I've always wanted to go to one of those. Like, anyways, then they're not leaving Canada quite yet. They're going to Jasper. I wonder if the producers were like, Maria's probably getting a hometown. Let's just stay in Canada because then we can do her hometown first. I think it'd be funny if because the the week after next has got to be like it's hometowns because there's only there's six women left so two people are going home next week and um then it's hometown so i'm like i wonder if they were like we're probably going to be in canada anyway so this is just easier <laughs> but i don't know i know canada isn't just like you just drive and, like you know but still it's probably easier to just no, it definitely is easier to, to travel within a country than it is to cross borders. So maybe that was something they were thinking of. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? But anyways, my predictions, Daisy, Kelsey A, and Rachel are going to be in the top four for sure. And then, um, and Maria. That's my top four prediction. Daisy, Kelsey A, Rachel, and Maria. I don't know. I feel like I, I like Jen. Like Jen is confusing to me. Because I feel like, because I feel like from what I've seen in terms of promos, I feel like Rachel gets to hometown and Jen doesn't. But I find that confusing as a viewer because I feel like what we've been presented, it seems like Joey has more chemistry with Jen than he does with Rachel. And maybe Rachel like will really open up and like we'll see a new side. But it, like it really, I just feel like he has more chemistry with Jen. They seem to be more at ease. Rachel is like very guarded, you know, which is fine. Like I, I'm not like criticizing her. I just, I see it more with Jen and I'm not even saying that that's just like, that's true. I'm saying that that is what the edit is telling me, which is why I'm confused, but I don't really know. Anyways, moving on to Vanderpump Rules season 11, episode four. It's called the Dog Days of Summer. So the opening scene, they kind of always do this. They like open up at people's houses, like brief shots of people getting ready and stuff. And then we are at James and Ali's house. They are getting ready for the pool party they're hosting. Then we see Tom and Ariana's house. Ariana is trying to figure out what to wear. Katie's helping her. And they talk about how their Lyft driver last night drove them from Sir and was like, I, I think I've been here before, like when he was dropping them off. It was the Lyft driver from that night. Like he was like, you and your husband were like fighting, like he was cheating on me. And like, it's just crazy. And I I really, I found this, I found this really interesting because she was like, he has no idea how many people want to talk to him. Like he doesn't even seem like his thing. And it, it is crazy when you think about how viral Scandival got. I mean, I've never heard of Vanderpump Rules. I am into the reality TV. I do, so like people I, I who I follow who, who watch reality TV or talk about reality TV on their podcasts and stuff, like this was a big topic of conversation. It wasn't something that I like seeked out, like it, it came across my page because that's just the kind of thing that I watch and consume. But it is always interesting to think about people who just like, exist in a different like you know like i don't know sometimes i'm like i know too much like i not i know too much but it's like the things i know about are like so stupid but you know what i like it i like it my friend ezra the other day texted me and he said emmy who is emma chamberlain and i was like thank you so much for asking ezra i do know the answer and i was like she used to be a youtuber but now she has a coffee brand and he was like i thought she was a youtuber but i just like had her coffee so i was <laughs> i was wondering and i'm like yeah she she like pivoted now she mostly does her coffee stuff 
And he was like, thank you for being informed. Like, that is my role, and I enjoy it, and I appreciate it. But it is always interesting to think about people who's, like, I'm like, what what do what consumes their minds? Sports? Do they just not have hobbies? Do they read a lot? I mean, I like to read. <laughs> Anyways, Ariana is upset about Schwartz saying that she was, like, the queen, the queen of the group and commenting on her ego that last night and last week's episode for us. And you know what? I, I understand why she is upset. I do think he's a little, like, I, I don't know. I always try to look at these things and, and, and be like fair to like everybody. But I do think Schwartz has this, and like, it's really hard because Schwartz and Sandoval are so often like together. Where in comparison to Sandoval, he's like great at communicating. He's great at apologizing. He's so much more personable and like less offensive. So I'm like, I view Schwartz with such like, <laughs> positivity and then i'm like when you think about schwartz within himself like he has a lot of flaws too and i don't know i'm not here to, to criticize anybody i'm like 24 you're grown people i'm nobody this is nobody's opinion i'm just sharing it i'm not trying to critique these people it's just like i do think schwartz I, like i don't know i i just i have very mixed opi opinions on this because do i think that ariana maybe in some moments like does speak with like authority of like what is right and what is wrong instead of just being like these are my boundaries like maybe maybe she doesn't always communicate the best but it's also like sandoval was the one who wronged her i don't really and this was filmed like a couple months after everything broke it wasn't like we're watching this now and it's gonna be like a year in like a week it's gonna be a year from when i'm recording this because it's friday the 23rd like a week from friday it's going to be a year from when ariana found out like we're watching this with a lot more distance where this was like pretty fresh. It's just a very different thing. But anyways, I didn't mean to go on that tangent. Katie and Ariana are not going to Tahoe because Ariana doesn't want to stay in a cabin with him, with Sandoval. And Katie doesn't really want to go on the trip. Like she's not interested. And she also has a lot to do with the sandwich shop. Then at Villa Rosa, Lala and Katie come to talk to Lisa before going to james's party lala's so funny she like she's like she's like how, how much do you want to bet that like lisa lisa's gonna make a comment about me not wearing any clothes and she does like immediately she's like i got a new dog and her dog is named donut and then she's like why are you not wearing any clothes after she introduces her dog super cute dog by the way then lisa talks to lala and i wrote katie but i meant sheena i don't know if i said katie i meant sheena Lala and Sheena. Sorry for the, t the typo. Lisa talks to them. She says that she's worried about Sandoval because of his suicidal ideation. Lala is upset. She's like, he's not owning up to anything he did. Like he called me a narcissist last night. And I have to say, I, and this genuinely like seems to upset her. She's like, he holds all this stuff with Randall like over my head. Like Lala has no room to talk. She like did this. And it's like, I don't know. I, I find that really frustrating because I, I don't think, like Lala owns her wrongdoing. And I also think, I do think there's something to be said about Lala being younger than Randall. She was like under 25. I don't know, your frontal cortex, maybe she was 25. I don't know, she was in her early to mid twenties. Your brain is not like fully developed. She dealt with the like loss of her father. I just, I hold a lot of grace for Lala because Randall, the stuff he was accused of was very serious abuses of power and 
really like paints him in a light where I'm like, he seems like a very manipulative, abusive person. So it's like as much as yes, Lala should have maybe like asked more questions and been better. Like Randall literally paid a man to pretend to be their therapist and like, or maybe he was a therapist, but the point is Randall paid this guy to like reassure Lala that he was divorced. That is not a normal oh, Lala was a mistress knowingly. It's a very like complicated, messed up situation that I just feel like, and hasn't Lala like paid enough? If she really like committed a crime, didn't karma get her? She's dealing with custody. She's de- like, she's dealt with plenty. I just don't feel like Sandoval has any place to criticize Lala, nor do I think calling her a narcissist. Like again, it's like, I wish Sandoval would learn to not deflect. Somebody's like, this is giving, like, you're acting kind of like a narcissist. And he's like, Lala's a narcissist. Like, what was that? And I already talked about that last week, but it's like, I understand why Lala's upset. Lisa says that Tom Sandoval doesn't have support or like love or anything going for him right now. I don't know how true that is. Like, thing is, I'll just finish my notes for the scene and then I'll talk. But I have something I need to say about this whole thing. Lisa says that she knows he's depressed because she sees similarities with him and her brother. And she says Tom Sandoval is not the kind of person that says he's had suicidal thoughts unless he means it. Lala in her confessionals talks about how she viewed Sandoval like Randall, her ex, someone who doesn't have feelings, but she doesn't want to be angry all the time anymore. Sheena says to Lisa that this is really hard for her. He was a good friend. And Lisa's like, isn't that more reason to forgive? And Sheena says, but is it worth losing Ariana? And then Lala and Sheena say that they're both going to Tahoe. They don't know yet if Sandoval has been invited and if he's going. And Lisa says to stop attacking him. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about this because if you don't know me, I have survived a suicide attempt. I've dealt with suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation. Like I I understand the beast that comes with it. Like I, I get it. I really, I have so much sympathy and compassion for people when they're experiencing that, no matter what they've done. It's a very painful thing to go through. It really is. And if Sandoval truly has struggled with those, thought, those thoughts and those feelings, like I feel for him and I hope that he can get help. But I also find it a little bit frustrating that this is not used to excuse, but it kind of feels like it's like a foot in the door of like, we need to go easier on him. We need to forgive him because he's in pain now. Just because he's in pain now, that doesn't absolve or erase all the pain he caused other people, nor does it mean that people have to cross their own boundaries and make themselves uncomfortable and cause themselves distress because he needs people. Like he has people, he has friends. He's not like completely alone. He has his family. He has Schwartz, he has Lisa. Like, yeah, he doesn't have all the people he did before, but he has people. He has people he can go to. Billy has been there the whole time, hasn't left his side basically. Like he's had people in his corner throughout this whole thing. Schwartz is like loyal to a fault. I just think it is not an effective way to get somebody to like fix the situation, to like reconcile by being like, I'm in pain now. He's not saying this, but for Lisa to say he's in pain, maybe we should forgive him. I don't, I, I just don't think that that is other people's responsibilities. They don't have to forgive him because he's now in pain. 
like Ariana doesn't have to like like I don't know I find it really really frustrating I find it really really two things can be true at once like that can be a horrible thing that he's navigating and the amount of hate he's gotten a lot of the times hate on the internet unfortunately crosses lines those things can be true like we can hold space and compassion for for a ton of internet backlash being emotionally distressing I I can recognize that and like I'm sure that is a very I, I cannot imagine you know I also just don't think that that should be used as a reason to get people to like forgive him I don't I think you should forgive people when you feel ready to forgive because it's the healthiest thing for you or when you feel like whenever you feel like you can forgive somebody whether it's because they've proved to you that they're truly sorry they've rectified the situation they've properly apologized or you just decide for yourself that you don't want to hold on to anger and to those feelings of resentment and even if they're not truly sorry you're just not going to let it bother you anymore like i just think choosing to forgive somebody should be a personal decision based off of when they've wronged you if somebody's wronged you i don't think you should have to forgive them on their timeline because they're now in pain because you won't forgive them i don't know i just don't think and maybe this will sound harsh but i just don't think suicidal thoughts are like a like get out of jail free card i think yeah maybe it's a fair thing to be like don't attack him if he's struggling like you don't want to kick somebody when they're down yeah like lay off on the attacks of like he's the worst and publicly shaming maybe but at the end of the day like if he's genuinely feeling that way and he's opened up to people then people should push him to get help he should find cope like proper coping skills and ways to manage his feelings and then when he feels well enough then he can address the pain he caused and properly apologize and mend those fences properly does that make sense like i i don't want to invalidate the way he's feeling or in any way say that it's like not real or legitimate it's not really my place i know last week's episode i was like it is like something that people use to manipulate and it is and that is always a possibility but honestly for me it's not even about that at this point it's like even if that's true i just don't think that should be used as the reason that like now they have to forgive him he still hurt them he still caused pain he still blew up people's lives the pain he's now in as a consequence of his mistakes aren't other people's responsibility maybe that sounds harsh but it's like and i will say as somebody who has struggled with these thoughts it doesn't and and a lot not always but sometimes for me that kind of rumination and that ideation comes with like outside triggers and outside conflict or outside like just you know like sometimes it is triggered by something or something somebody says or an argument that i got into with somebody even if i started the argument or i was the one who escalated it or whatever sometimes that kind of it does it is like triggered by something but at the end of the day if i hurt somebody and then it becomes like a big conflict and then i'm left feeling horrible about myself and suicidal that doesn't erase erase the fact that i initially caused harm and it's not a productive way because like it's not a productive way if you hurt somebody and then you like have a negative consequence of that to then blame the person who you were initially wrong it's not a productive way to get anywhere it's a lot more healthy in my opinion to find those coping skills get yourself back to center regulate your own emotions manage those thoughts and those feelings in a healthy productive way and then come to the table and resolve the conflict not from that place of emotion and not from that place of pain because then it just becomes a like 
who's in more pain? Well, I hurt you originally, but now I want to die. So who's really suffering more? Like it just, it, it's so unhealthy. And I'm not saying that I've never done this. I'm, I, there, I know that I probably have when you're really feeling unwell and you're like, well, I, I want to die now. So you should forgive me like that. At the end of the day, that doesn't really, I don't know. I'm just going on a, a random tangent. This is just something that like is very, it, it hits close to home. And I do have a lot to say because like, I'm not like the, like I'm not an, a voice of authority, but I do have some personal experience that I, that I think could maybe be valuable to people who are just, I don't know. I have something to say because it's about something that I dealt with personally. Like, I don't know. I understand where Lisa's coming from because she has a different relationship with suicide. I just, I feel like if somebody's in crisis, the solution isn't like, I don't know. When you hurt people to the point where it, it like you get this like crazy amount of backlash that then leads you to feeling unwell. And then people's response because you're in pain is just to forgive you and to wipe the slate clean. It doesn't teach you to improve your behavior. Like you don't learn anything from that if people just forgive you. And I'm not saying like, yes, to like, be punished but it does teach you something where when you're in pain because you caused somebody else pain and it like became a, a, a big thing it does teach you something to be able to take a step back and and act more effectively like and and just in the future be more aware and and stop yourself before you like just it it helps you learn more i feel like you learn i'm just repeating myself but you 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 improve as a person you change you grow by actually not letting that be a get out of jail free card if that makes sense again i do think if somebody is in a moment of crisis right don't keep going at them like don't add f flames to the fire i also just don't think it's your job to put the fire out i don't know where my analogy was going i i think obviously don't kick somebody when, when they're down but you also don't have to reconcile with somebody who hurt you or you just it distresses you to be around them or whatever it is you just don't want to be around them you don't have to reconcile because they're going through a hard time like you know what i mean that was just the main point and i went on all these unnecessary things but anyways then we see people arrive at the pool party they have fun it's like a cute little montage and then we see sandoval going to a spa with billy he like gets a cold plunge says he needs to learn to deal with his emotions in a healthy way i appreciate that i appreciate that acknowledgement of what i literally just said which is funny <laughs> i have that in my notes i like didn't even realize but anyways back at the pool party we see lala talking to ali and she asks about james's sobriety she wonders if she asks him if he'd open up and because she doesn't want to trigger him but sobriety is obviously something that she really cares about and ali's like i know why he stopped drinking but like i i don't that's not mine to share like law is like do you think he would be fine with me asking and she was like i think you can try then we see james barbecuing people are just having fun and then we see a conversation between schwartz and lala he says he feels like ariana has been put on a pedestal like exalted to like god status he loves her but he doesn't want to fawn for her affection like again i don't know it's it's like it's hard because it's like i don't think that ariana is standing from like a moral high ground by just being like you're still best friends with like a man who like wronged me and i think that's wrong i feel like that is like i like i, I don't know i don't think that like the, again are there moments that ariana could be less harsh or like whatever sure sure of course 
Everybody can always be a kinder, calmer communicator. You know, people always have room to grow. But I also just think it's like, I understand why Ariana has no patience for Schwartz. He does. He doesn't get it. He doesn't. I don't think that Schwartz realizes that just because Ariana is speaking this way to him, that means that's just how the that's the way she conducts herself. You know, like no, that's not the way she like just generally conducts herself. That that's how she feels towards you because you took a stand. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't feel like Ariana is coming from this. Like that's just my opinion. I think Schwartz is like, Ariana thinks she's so much better than everybody. No, I think she thinks that she's better than you. And maybe you think that's wrong. And, and I'm not here to argue, but it's like, that's what I'm reading from the interaction. That she thinks that she she's right and he's wrong. Lala says she was triggered by Schwartz's ego comment. And then Lala in her confessionals says that she needs to practice forgiveness. She can't wear her trauma like a badge. And I respect that. I respect Lala being like, I can't have a dog in everybody's fight. I really do. I, I will say I've seen a lot of clips of the after show and I talk about this every week, but Lala really seems to not judge Ariana, but she critiques Ariana for having the boundary that she doesn't want to be friends with people who are friends with Sandoval and yet she lives with him because she's like, imagine if I told Schwartz he couldn't play pickleball with my ex and I was still living in his house, I would have no like to stand on. And it's just like, I mean this respectfully, but I just think they're two different situations. Like Ariana owns the home. If she leaves, she could be like legally abandoning it and he could like have all the rights to buy her out. Like she doesn't want to, she doesn't want him to buy her out of the house which is her legal right. She owns half the house. Why does she have to leave? Like, it's just a different environment when, like, it's a different circumstance when you buy a house with somebody and then they, like, fuck up your whole lives than just, like, Randall had this house already and Lala moved into it. It's a very, she wasn't on the, like, mortgage from what I know. Like, it was all under his name. It's a very different, it's a very different circumstance. And, like, if she can, she if she wants to think it's hypocritical, sharp. I would think it was hypocritical if she was like hanging out with Sandoval in their house. Like she basically like doesn't see him. They have a go between. Like they don't talk. They haven't like properly talked. Sandoval's like, I would love to talk to Ariana. Like they don't talk. They don't see each other. Like, yeah, they live in the same house, but it's just because he won't leave and she doesn't want him to buy her out. It's not that difficult to understand in my opinion. Like you own a home. And I don't remember when exactly they bought the house, but I feel like the the housing market is like really, like, I don't know. Houses are really expensive these days. Everything's more expensive these days. Why would she leave a house she owns? It's just a very different experience. But anyways, Lala like tells Schwartz that she wasn't suggesting, she wasn't trying to suggest that he should cut Sandoval out of his life. She just feels like he reminds her of her dad and her dad really got bulldozed constantly and like walked all over and she doesn't want that to happen to Schwartz. She also apologizes for not giving him grace last year with everything he was going through. He compliments her a bunch. He's like, you're so beautiful. Sometimes I need to remember why I fell in love with you. And every time he's like platonically as a friend and it's like Lala knows that you're not interested in her, but it's so funny. And then Schwartz encourages her to talk to Sandoval. She was like, this, he was like, this was a great conversation. Like maybe give it a shot with Sandoval. Then back at the spa, we see Billy and Sandoval talk. She says that he deserves bliss. 
asks if he's been dating and Sandoval says he hasn't. He hasn't heard from Cal. He really misses her. He hasn't heard from her in three weeks. He says in his confessionals that he's basically saving himself for Raquel. Then Billy says that she's tired of everybody hating Sandoval. She really thought that they would lose him. And Sandoval says that he got close a couple times and he opens up his confessionals about having a hard time. Again, I see that, I validate it, I respect it, I really do. And I hope he has a support system. I hope he goes to like good therapy where he can learn coping skills. When you're having these kind of thoughts, I think coping skills are really helpful. And I just, I, I don't know, like I, I wish him the best and I hope he gets treatment. I also just don't think that that means that then people have to be friends with him. And I like, I don't know. And that people have to stop hating him. Maybe they can stop being like directly antagonistic, but I don't think that means that they have to like pretend like it never happened. Like it all be forgotten because now he's like, in pain because he won't be in that pain forever like he, he won't be in that pain forever he'll get better he'll feel better and then all those other people harm themselves by making themselves uncomfortable and being around somebody that they set a boundary to not be around you know what i mean like i i don't know i don't know if i'm making any sense it's also like wouldn't you want people who want to be around you because they genuinely enjoy being around you and they care about you and they want to be around you when you're at your happiest and your lowest I, I wouldn't really want people to flock back to me after I hurt them just because I was in a place of pain. Maybe that's just me. Because it's temporary. It's temporary. They're just doing it because they, in that moment, don't want you to hurt yourself, which is like, I don't know. I'm not making any sense. I just don't think that this is something that should be like used against people or used to, it feels like coerce people to be friends with him and forgive him and like, turn a new leaf or something. I just don't like it. Back at the pool party, Sheena shares about her conversation with Sandoval and then she mentions Lisa's worries. Ariana says Lisa's brother is very different than Sandoval, like they're two different people. And Ariana says in her confessionals, I don't know if this is verbatim, I tried to write it verbatim, but like I can understand, she says, I can understand that maybe he has some thought, that he has had some thoughts and some feelings. But those thoughts and those feelings are based on a situation that he created in which he didn't give a fuck about anybody else's mental health. And I agree. Like, I think that's another part that I'm having trouble with because it's like, yeah, this is a horrible thing to go through. But it's also like he caused pain. Not just like being cheated on is a traumatizing experience. Like it can, it can have like a long lasting impact. Just the way you view yourself, the way you view relationships, it really can damage your like self-esteem and your self-worth. That within itself is a really, really messed up way to hurt somebody repeatedly because you didn't just cheat on her once. You had a months long affair. That is multiple decisions you made progressively over a period of time that completely disregarded her feelings. And on top of that, Sandoval has, in my opinion, very, been very dismissive and kind of like, he didn't seem to care about Ariana's mental health. She was grieving her grandmother and her dog died in a very short amount of time. Like she was dealing with an immense amount of grief. And I don't remember exactly because this is kind of foggy in my brain, but I feel like, and maybe I'm like making this up or I'm like not being exact, but I, I swear to God, I feel like he has used Ariana's depression against her to be like, you're no fun to be around or like, or other people have like people have been and you know what other mental health struggle he used against her like her body stuff she opened she's opened up about like struggling with her body image specifically in regards to sex and then on the after like i almost called it after the final rose at the vanderpump reunion he like brought up the fact 
that they had sex and she'd leave her t-shirt on. Is that not like degrading? Is that not invalidating? Is that not knowing that somebody's going through a hard time and then still repeatedly hurting them? I just don't understand how now that he's in pain, after all of that, he needs to be like absolved of his crimes. Like this isn't like Catholic confessional or whatever where you're absolved of your skins since is that accurate i don't know i haven't been to catholic church in like years i don't remember nor did i ever do confessionals i don't know if i was like too young for that or anyways sheena says that he was a great friend to her and ariana says that it wasn't genuine he just wants to be invited to parties again which is kind of similar to what i was saying about the like temporary like his pain will go away like what happens they like welcome him back into the fold and then it's as if nothing ever happened and then that pain that he caused other people because it wasn't like he just made a mistake and it didn't hurt anybody he like made multiple decisions that like repeatedly caused harm to somebody right he hasn't been very apologetic or remorseful and then what he's just welcomed back into the fold and ariana has to be continuously triggered by his presence because he was struggling it's like that'll go away that pain like it's a band-aid on the problem like if tom sandoval is genuinely like i, I feel abandoned and that is causing his feelings like that is a band-aid because things will never be the same the thing you did and the pain you caused it's still gonna happen even if you're invited into the fold and people pretend it didn't like there are, that's just it, that's never gonna be that's not, it's not gonna solve the problem he needs genuine help he needs to learn coping skills he needs to surround himself by people who genuinely want to be around him not people who who feel like they have to be around him for his own well-being like that's just not a healthy thing for anybody it's not healthy for the people who feel like it's their responsibility to be with him until he's well and it's not healthy for him to be around people who are just doing it out of like a sense of like we don't want to like i don't i'm not making any sense i just think it's way more complicated than that ariana says that tom is a scary person to her she doesn't believe anything he says and that it all feels like manipulation and i kind of agree like it's hard it's really hard for me to say that and i know i kind of said that last week but it's like i never want to be like somebody isn't actually feeling those things because being dismissed is very like wh why would i why would i expect the worst of people you know but if if it's not like coming from like a manipulative place of like i'm gonna say this so people feel bad for me and they'll like if it's genuinely how he's feeling and and he's expressing that i don't think that the way it's being received and handled by lisa is the most productive way like anyways then we see lala's apartment james stops by and they talk about sobriety he opens up about how after Scandival, he was like fighting with Ali a lot more and she left and stayed with a friend for two nights. Like he came home and she was gone, the cats were gone. And that was kind of his breaking point. Lala says that she's there for James. She won't tell anything that he tells her to other people. She says that they have a very, she says this in her confessionals, but she says they have a very special relationship. They were train wrecks. They got into relationships at the same time those relationships ended they've been through sobriety journeys together like she's like i it's very special to find somebody like james then at schwartz's apartment we see his friend joe giving him a haircut and he says they never dated i don't particularly care that never really was that fascinating to me like he i don't know then sandoval comes schwartz 
Tulsane of all about Tahoe, says that it would be a good time to have like one-on-ones with people, be apologetic. And Tom just reacts with like anger, defensiveness. He's like, Lala, I'm so sorry. Or Lala and Sheena, I'm so sorry that I give you so much content for your podcast and you sell your merch. Like he he is mad he thinks that they wronged him and do i think that maybe on some level they added fuel to the fire sure i'm not gonna say that they didn't do anything wrong but it's just like again not an effective way to lead reconciliation he's like angry and schwartz says that this won't help him he's worried he says this in his confessionals well he says to to sandoval that he doesn't think this will help him but he says in his confessionals that he's like worried it won't be productive and i agree like that's where i'm coming from it's just like it's not when somebody says hey you should be apologetic you should be like they have like it's not a useful way to come to the table to be like they should be apologizing to me maybe they should maybe they should but if somebody's like hey maybe you should apologize to them it'd be a good first step and they're and he's like no they owe me an apology it's like it's always the somebody else somebody else deflect deflect is he okay like there's and then he's like i am remorseful i am taking accountability and it's like where then we see a babysitter come to sheena's house to watch sheena's daughter because sheena and brooke are going to dinner with james and ali they meet for dinner. Sheena shares about her conversation with Lisa. James says that he's seeing Lisa tomorrow and Sheena's like, it'll probably be about the same thing. Sheena is worried and about Sandoval and doesn't want him to do something and for it to be too late. And Brock says it's unfair to put it on them, basically. Like, he's like, what are you going to say? That, like, his mental health isn't valid? Like, that's a very tough position to put you guys in. And I agree. It's like, Lisa, if you are genuinely concerned that Tom Sandoval is suicidal, like get him a good therapist, help him with coping skills, make sure the people around him, because he does have people around him, make sure the people around him are aware, are attentive, are checking in, are making sure he's okay. Those are steps you can take. Pushing people who who don't want to be his friend to be his friend is not useful for anybody. He has people. Reach out to those people and make sure they're checking in on him. Make sure he's getting help. Make sure he's making progress in his emotional journey. Don't add other people to the equation who don't want to be there. I don't understand how that's going to solve anything for anybody. Sheena texts Schwartz to find out if Sandoval is coming to Tahoe. James says he's not stressing it. Brock says, which I like this. He was like, there was right and there was wrong. We're not like trying to pick sides. And I, I liked that. I liked that because it's like, yes, let's get back to it. Like how people handled it, that could be a separate thing. But like at the end of the day, the reason people were mad at you, Sandoval, is not because like, everybody hates you when you're like just an easy target or whatever it was because you did something wrong and you reacted horribly when you were called out on it it's that simple start from the beginning start from the beginning show remorse you did something wrong and it feels like you just think people should move on by now oh god anyways then the episode ends with james coming to vanderpump dogs to to meet with lisa and he originally thinks it's for sandoval but lisa has graham which this was something that came out when this was filming and everything. Like, I, rem- I remember reading about it, about Graham being found and James taking him in. And now he now he, his name is Hippie, but at the time and the show, they called him Graham. But James starts crying. It's, very, it's a very heartfelt scene. I teared up watching it. Graham, we find out that Graham has been in a foster home for two months and he's been in a couple of times. So he was going to be dropped off at the shelter and they asked Lisa, I think they found out that it was Graham, maybe through microchip, I don't know. They found out that it, like, they realized it was Graham, 
and they contacted Lisa and they asked if they could take him and Lisa said yes obviously and then Lisa is like do you want him and James is like obviously it's a very emotional heartfelt scene it really it, it brought it brought me joy it was very sweet but anyways I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say about next week I really I feel I feel bad like it's not a pleasant thing to 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 talk about in this much detail like it's not I think it's an important thing to talk about because I think mental health is an important topic and I think suicidal ideation and how we respond to people who are who are feeling that in our lives or how we ourselves learn to manage it and and ask for help and what kind of like I think those are important conversations to be had you know it's important to talk about things I I believe in that but it's also just like it's hard for me because I feel like two things can be true at once Sandoval can be in deep pain and that can be really sad and 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 real and valid and something he needs to work through and at the same time it's not other people's responsibility to forgive him the pain he caused them because of that pain that he is now in like i both things can be true at once and we can have empathy for sandoval and hope that he gets to a better mental space and rebuilds his life after burning it down and we can also understand that people don't want to be there for the rebuilding that that he burned bridges and they don't really want to put in the effort to build them if he's not going to help. I don't know. I always try to make analogies and they never make sense. But anyways, moving on to The Traitors, this is season two, episode nine, A Game of Death. It opens with Kate in the dungeon, which we find out if she's gonna accept the offer. Phaedra greets her face to face and she basically tells Kate that it's an ultimatum. Kind of wish she didn't. It would be more interesting if she was like, accept, let me know if you want to accept it. I, I guess actually, never mind. Because I feel like it would have to be tell us or die because it like accepted or die because there's no way that they would allow in the game somebody to know who the traitor is and then deny the recruitment because then Kate can just be like I was recruited and and Phaedra's the traitor like they would have to kill her if they expose a traitor to her so never mind I guess it would be kind of obvious Kate in her confessional says she loves a dramatic she loves a vip club she loves knowing secrets kate is really entertaining i will give her that she's so entertaining and she's great as a trader so far kate says that she's disappointed phaedra is the last trader left in the turret kate basically like inquires about the history of the trader she's like was it just you dan and poverty and like who got recruited phaedra kind of roasts dan says he was like plain bread I love plain bread, okay? Plain toast, either way. Bread is just good. What do you mean? Phaedra then asks Kate what she thinks and her, and in her confessionals, Kate is like, you have no plan. I'm new here. Like, you have no plan. So we kind of see this seed or this, this through line that Kate is annoyed about her partner, Phaedra. I don't know. They discuss who they would murder. Kate says Kevin is annoying. Phaedra says that he follows Peter, the dictator. Then Kate says that Peter puts the dick in dictator. <laughs> they don't want to misfire because they think Peter has the shield, so they don't want to go for him because they think he has his shield and they don't want to miss. They consider Trishel, and then it, it's between Trishel and Kevin. Mind you, Trishel has the shield, not Peter. So this whole time as a viewer, you're like, if Kevin walks in, then they're screwed because they aimed at Trishel and she has the shield. The next day at breakfast, Kate and Sandra are the first in. Sandra says she's suspicious of Peter. Kate tells Sandra about her conversation with Peter where he admitted he knew poverty was a traitor, but like didn't go after her for his own sake. Then CT comes in next. Sandra says Peter's a liar. CT says Peter's doing too much. Peter is in next and then MJ. Peter says he's shocked to be alive. He's worried about his team because not all of his allies have 
shields. Then MJ says something is amiss about Kate's demeanor, which is like crazy. Like literally like there's silence and then she's like, what's wrong with Kate? Like it's crazy. How did she have that read on people? Kate is like paranoid. She's like, I'm adjusting to this whole thing. Now I don't know if like doing this this way or doing this that way is like suspicious, which is interesting. Sheree is in next. Then Phaedra comes in next and Peter asks if they're good. And she's like, let's not fight today. Then John comes in. They don't know if it's Kevin or Trishel. And then Trishel comes in, RIP Kevin. We see a flashback to the turret. They want to kill Kevin basically to break Peter, to break down his team. We see Kevin get his letter. He asks if he can keep it. He's so real for that. That would be me all the time on these shows. I'd be like, can I keep this? You gotta keep mementos from the show. Like if I was to ever be on reality TV, I would just be like, oh my God, I'm on reality TV. I will keep all that kind of stuff to, to i'm a big like memento person i love little souvenirs little memories of things kate is kind of like stressed out by the fact that they were down to two people and one of them had a shield like they could have attempted to kill somebody who had a shield and she says she hasn't processed the transition from being a faithful to the traitor like she needs to remind herself that she's a faithful she's a traitor now i think it might also i mean i don't know but i feel like it might be extra hard for kate because she played the game already that you like you know she went into it being like this was the game i played last time now it's completely different it must be really difficult alan comes in and he asks peter to bring kevin's photo to him for him to throw on the floor like he always does kind of a mean job that they asked peter to do it and he alan says that for the mission they'll be meeting at the castle church john toasts to kevin r.i.p then peter in his confessional says that his side is taking blow after blow he hates losing but he feels like there's a really good chance for that today then we see in the in the castle before they go to the mission kate asks peter if he likes this more the bachelor and he says the bachelor is way more stressful that's not super relevant i just really enjoyed that little conversation then we see ct trishel and phaedra talk and ct thinks peter is suspect phaedra says he's had dealings with every trader maybe i'm stupid but what deal did he have with dan besides dan telling besides peter telling dan about the shield which if that is used as evidence to me that just disproves peter being a traitor because why would you like i don't know that would be like really really five steps ahead really confusing gameplay from a traitor if he's like i'm a traitor so i'm going to pretend that i it makes no sense what other dealings did peter have with dan phaedra says her goal is to break up that alliance and so she needs to get rid of peter she says this in her confessionals then ct tells trishel to be more open-minded about peter trishel's kind of torn because she's like i don't know who i trust more but i just don't think peter would lie to that many people which i agree with peter oh this is something i wrote in my notes peter being a traitor makes no sense why would he kill all of his allies like some may be okay so it doesn't become obvious but at the end of the day you need numbers on your side for the banishment because if you're a traitor, you know you won't get murdered. So your biggest fear and, or not fear, but your biggest obstacle if you're a traitor is not being detected, is not being banished. And the best way to not be banished is to have as many people on your side. So why would Peter kill his allies who he knows would never vote for him to be banished? It doesn't make sense. It would be horrible gameplay from a traitor's perspective to like whittle it down so all the people who are against you are still alive. 
What well, that makes no sense. Why would he as a traitor kill people on his side? Then we see Trishelle and John talk about numbers. They need five votes because it, it's there are nine people, so they need five votes to banish somebody. John says that he, Peter, and Trishelle need to stick together. It's three of them, so they need two more people. The other side, he's like, the other side is not losing numbers. Like we're losing numbers and the other side isn't. Then we see Sandra, Sheree, Phaedra, and MJ talk. And Phaedra says Peter's behavior is consistent with the traitor. And I wrote genuinely how I'm so confused. Like I just don't get it. Besides them not liking him and him maybe being a little bit too bold and too out there. How does his behavior scream traitor? Are you just so paranoid in the game that you're like anything is like traitor? Because it, I don't, I don't see it. You know, you know that friends that 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 friend scene where Rachel has an ultrasound and and she's like, I don't see it. That's me with this whole thing. <laughs> Shireen Confessionals talks about Peter and like all of the stuff he's been doing and his making up alliances. And I find this kind of annoying because it's like, what is your little Bravo click thing if not an alliance? Are you not all overwhelmingly normally voting the same way? Do you not have loyalty to each other? Like, I don't know. Like you all have alliances. And Peter came into this game with nobody from his show or his franchise. So what did he do? He made allies where he didn't have any. They came in with like automatic, we're on the same network allyship. Peter had to work for his allies, his alliances. Like it's just annoying to me. Then Trishelle and John pull Peter for a chat and Trishelle basically thinks they're doomed. Peter realizes they need two more votes and their goals for those two votes are CT and Sandra. Then we see CT and Peter talk and CT says he's leaning towards voting for Peter. Peter defends himself, says that they've gotten two traitors out. He blocked the shield. Peter promises CT that if he's banished, it'll all be a waste, which he's so right. And then CT in his confessionals, or maybe he maybe he, he says both, but he's like uh, talking about how he wouldn't work with the traders. He's like, they're traders. We have to get them out, like no side deals or anything. So that's interesting. Then at the mission, they arrive at a church. Kate says that she thinks she'll be struck by lightning, not because she's a whore, but because she's a traitor. It's really creepy and I don't understand like the purpose of this, but when they walk into the church, there's like a bunch of people in like cloaks and like these golden masks. I don't get it. Where did that come from? They they left, it wasn't even part of the challenge. I just don't get it. Then basically they have to shoot these like stakes and like a catapult thing to each person has like a stained glass window with their name on it and you have to like shoot it and shatter the glass and the last person whose glass hasn't shattered wins a shield and they also they lose money every time they shoot at somebody and miss so if phaedra goes first she aims at john and misses and ct goes next he aims at kate and misses kate goes next shoots at ct and misses then sandra shoots at john and misses sheree also targets john and misses john then tries mj and he misses Trishelle aims at Sheree and misses. Phaedra goes against, goes again and aims at Sheree. They kind of realize after a certain point that they're like, it's easier to move the machine, the catapult, whatever it's called. It's easier to move it left to right than up and down. So it's easier if you're in a row to just stay in the row. So when they decided that they were on Sheree, so they were like, let's just keep going until we get that one. Anyways, Phaedra goes again, aims at Sheree and misses. And then CT aims at Sheree, misses. Kate again, Sheree misses. Sandra, Sheree misses. MJ tries for Sheree and succeeds. And they all cheer and it's like, they're super, they're super happy. They finally got somebody. 
Then CT shoots Phaedra because she's like the next in line based off of their strategy. He succeeds. Then we see, then it's kind of like a montage where they move really fast. So then we see MJ out, Sanders out. When they get to CT, they keep missing. Like when they're shooting at CT's name in the St. Glass window, they keep missing. So Sandra and Phaedra kind of have a look and they agree to change course which then prompts them to target Trichelle because she's like at the bottom and they're like removing the the target I don't know they keep trying for Trichelle until Kate gets it and then Phaedra goes for Kate and succeeds so it's between CT and John for the shield CT aims at John and succeeds CT gets the shield and is starting to doubt Sandrin and Phaedra because they blocked Trichelle from getting the shield. They debrief in their cars on the way home to the castle. Sandra says she would have targeted CT so John could have the shield. Trichelle is mad about Phaedra switching course. Dinner back at the castle. Peter knows he'll be up for banishment and even though he has all the evidence that he's not a traitor, they just don't have the numbers so what can they do? Then John thinks CT and Sheree can't be swayed so they should go for Sandra and MJ. Peter then pulls Sandra, tells her if a faithful goes tonight, the rest are screwed. Sandra says she'll listen to John at the round table. And then John, basically they have strong feelings that John can change people's minds. Then Peter pulls Phaedra to chat so Trichelle can convince the rest of the faithful to vote for Phaedra. So he's basically creating a diversion. Kate eve tr tries to eavesdrop. Trichelle tries to convince them. Kate says Peter's actions haven't been faithful behavior, like the him lying about poverty being a traitor but still working for her. Then Kate doesn't want Peter at the end, so she's voting for him. Trichelle says Phaedra has four people with blind loyalty. MJ says that's not true. She'll vote traitors out regardless. Then CT is really feeling like Sandra and Phaedra sabotage things today. He talks to Trichelle. They agree to not bring up Sandra tonight, but he's down to vote Phaedra out. So at the round table, John speaks first. He says, this is a turning point in the season. He's so good at these little speeches. He's so funny. I'm like, did he write this or does it just come off the top of his head? First, he brings up that both, both banished traitors named Phaedra and says Phaedra flies low, is like non-committal. Then Phaedra says she's glad he's not God. It says he should take it down a notch. This isn't parliament. She is a faithful and yet he wants to protect somebody who was in collusion with both traitors. Phaedra also says Peter now wants to work with her, which he doesn't and he does push back and he's like, I had one conversation with you. Phaedra says Peter always has closed door meetings, turns people away. I don't really see the issue. Like, I don't know. There is kind of an issue. Like you have to be open to talking to people from all across the house, but like the closed door, like exclusive meetings, like that just feels like you have to do that if you want privacy to actually figure out who you're working with. And then Phaedra says, what you might've forgot Peter is this is not the bachelor and I don't have to kiss your ass for a rose. Mic drop, iconic, so true. <laughs> then Phaedra says she doesn't like how Peter plays the game, says it's all about me, me, me. And he pushes back and he says that he's not a selfish player. And I agree, he was literally asked to be a traitor and he said no because he had so much loyalty. Like how is he not, like how is he selfish? Then CT brings up the switch at the mission and Phaedra targeting Trichelle basically. Phaedra says she hasn't done any of that. Sandra says Peter defending poverty was a red flag. Peter says, the way to get to the end 
is to be there with somebody you know is a traitor. And he's so right about that. He's so right. You don't want all the traitors to hate you because then you'll die. You want to get to the end with like a couple people that you are pretty sure are traitors, accuse them in the end and then take all the money. Duh. And Peter brings up his plays that don't make sense with him being a traitor, like the Bergie block. So, so many more. Again, it doesn't make any sense that he would kill off all of his allies. Like right now he's like struggling for the votes. Why would he kill people who wouldn't banish him? It makes no sense. Pilot Pete like appeals to the group, says if they don't get it, the traitors will win the game. So the votes are as follows. Phaedra votes for Peter, Sandra votes for Peter, Peter votes for Phaedra, John votes Phaedra, Trishel votes Phaedra, CT votes Phaedra, Sheree votes Peter, Kate votes Peter, and then MJ's the, the, the tiebreaker and it's left on a cliffhanger. Anyways, and that is where we end. I do not know what is going to happen. I fear Pilot Pete is not long for this world, as I've been saying, but that would make me kind of sad. I'm invested enough that I'm going to keep watching, but I would be sad to see Pilot Pete go. But anyways, it's it's like really late my time. I started recording this too late and I'm like exhausted. So I'm going to call it tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully this will be out Sunday. I recorded it Friday, so I'm feeling good about the timeline and actually getting an episode out at a good time so thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed it please follow me wherever you listen to podcasts share with a friend if you think they'd like it and just thank you so much it really means a lot i know once every few months i'm like oh this podcast is such a failure but it's fun i enjoy it and it did cheer me up to talk about it a little bit so (laughs) about about everything so thank you so much and you will hear from me next week bye guys